If you have your Bibles with you today, uh, please open up to the New Testament book of James. We'll be uh, near the end of your Bible in James chapter 1. And we're going to pick up reading right where we left off last week. If you have um, a bulletin there or something from last time, we're going to pick up in James chapter 1 and start reading in verse 19. And last week uh, we looked at the good gifts that our unchanging God gives to us. Today is going to be a little bit different, though. Our, our focus is going to shift, and we're going to talk about anger. Anger. Now, I know when I start talking about things like anger, you might think, well, he's done stop preaching and he's went to meddling. You know, um, uh, and, and understand that when I, when I preach this sermon, I'm preaching it to you, but first I preach it to myself. And this week, just, you know, just be up front with you, I've struggled with this topic this week. And God has used this passage and other passages to uh, convict my heart of, of that sin. And so if it plows close to the corn, just realize that, well, I'm in good company, I guess. Now, we all know what anger is, but is anger really that big of a deal? Well, it, it really is. Um, I've noticed in my own life, and you probably noticed this in yours too, but anger and godliness don't usually go together, do they? Anger and godliness do not usually go together. And, and, uh, and, and but you might be thinking, you know, since anger is a natural emotion, it's something that God has created us with, how can anger be a bad thing? Well, I think it's important to know that anger itself is not bad. As you read through the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark, you'll see that several times the Bible says that Jesus got angry. You remember he cleansed the temple. He would, he, uh, there was a, a time when, in the synagogue where there was a man with a withered hand, and he wanted to heal the man on the Sabbath, but the religious leaders, uh, they insisted they not do it on the Sabbath. They would rather their tradition be upheld than this man be made whole on this certain day of the week, and it, it angered Jesus. The problem is not anger itself. The problem is the way that we act when we're angry. The problem is the way that we handle our anger. And James is going to give us some very straightforward uh, instruction in this area. But I want you to first think, why is it that we get mad in the first place? What is it that really, uh, as Yosemite Sam used to say, burns your biscuits? I mean, anger is an emotion that God has created us with, and, and it's not sinful. Paul said in one place, be angry and sin not. So to be angry is not to sin. But what is it that makes us mad in the first place? Well, oftentimes it has to do with our expectations. Our expectations are up here. Reality is down here. And then we get disappointed and frustrated and sometimes angry. And many times we get, we get mad if we feel like our rights have been infringed upon. Sometimes we get mad if somebody bruises our ego. You ever felt like that at work or something? I can't believe the boss talked to me that way. He doesn't know who he's talking to. He, if he keeps it up, well, you know, we, we get up on our high horse and, and, uh, and there's, there's, no, there's no graceful way to get off your high horse. And, and we get mad because somebody has slighted us, we think. We think, how dare they talk to me that way or how dare they treat me in such a way. For me, personally, mine is often directly related to fatigue. I'm just like a little baby. When I get, when I get tired, I get cranky. And then when I get cranky, then it doesn't take too much to, to, to put me in a real bad mood, to set me off. And you could probably make a, a big list of your own things that really just make you mad, that make you angry. And, and what I want you to do, and we could probably all tell times of, of maybe that we've been 
maybe justifiably angry, maybe not so much, but we haven't handled anger very well. And maybe you did some things or you said some things that you regretted. And some of those things, uh, maybe you're going to pay for for the rest of your life, maybe a, a damaged relationship or something, all because you didn't handle anger the right way. And so what James is going to do is he's going to uh, talk about this important topic, and I love how straightforward he is because I'm not a smart man, and so I need it laid out as simply as possible. And James gives us four things that we need to do. Now, the context of this passage uh, is that of Christians going through trials. And so uh, it's going to apply specifically to how we handle the trials in life, but I don't think I'm doing the text scene violence by uh, suggesting that this is uh, applicable to all areas of life. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about anger, especially in the wisdom literature, like the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says, Don't be eager in your heart to be angry, because anger resides in the bosom of fools. Or as the God's Word translation renders that, anger is typical of fools. Proverbs 14 verse 17, A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Proverbs 22, Do not associate with the man given to anger, or with the hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Proverbs 16, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures the city. Proverbs 25, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Matthew 25, the New Testament, the, the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now I could go on and on, but you get the idea. Mishandled anger can and often does cause a lot of problems. So James is going to lay out some very simple things for us to look at. And, uh, and, and so what I'd like you to do, if you found James chapter 1, uh, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's words. We begin reading in verse 19. If, if, um, if you haven't found it or, or maybe you've uh, left your Bible at home, it's up on, the, uh, up on the screen. He says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, the first thing that James commands us to do is to be ready, or your Bible may say, be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. Now, what does that mean to be quick to hear? Well, I've, I've observed many times in life, we do not really hear what's being said. Sometimes in life, we, we listen, but we don't really hear. You remember Charlie Brown, when, he, when they showed a scene of him in school, the teacher, and wah, 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 wah. He, he, he was listening to the sound coming out of the teacher's voice, uh, mouth, but he wasn't really hearing what was being said. And that's the way it is in our lives a lot of times. We, we listen to the sounds coming, that are coming out of somebody's mouth, but we don't pay attention to what's really being communicated. When I was in sales uh, a number of years ago, they, one of the first things they told us was, listen with your third ear. And what that meant was, you need to be listening to what the, uh, what the person is saying, but you also need to be listening to what they're trying to communicate. Because what they're saying and what they're communicating are not necessarily the same thing. And sometimes we listen 
without really hearing. Maybe we jump to conclusions. I've done that sometimes with dealing with my daughter. I'll, I'll talk to her, something will happen, and I already think I know what's happened. And so I'll say, what, what happened in this situation? And she'll start telling me, I've already, I've already tuned her out because I think I know what's happened. I think I know the circumstances. I think I know uh, why things were done the way they were done. And maybe you've done that with a child, a spouse, a family member, a co-worker, a friend. We think that we already know, so we stop hearing what they're saying. Sometimes we don't really care to hear the rest of the story because we're already, we've already formulated in our minds what we're going to say. So we'll start talking to somebody. We don't, we don't hear what they're saying. And so we've already got an answer in our mind. We're just waiting for our chance to talk. And so, uh, so we need to hear, be quick to hear. And... And the general application of this truth, of course, is we need that. That's a that's a good social skill. But more importantly, when we're going through trials, and this fits the context of, of our trials, when we're going through a, a, a trial, we need to be quick to hear what God's trying to teach us. We need to be quick to hear what He's trying to say to us. And I'm not saying there's going to be some some mystical booming voice from heaven where God says, "Jeff, this is the lesson I want you to get." That wasn't very booming, but I wish God would say that sometimes, don't you? It would be nice if God would just say, this is the lesson I want you to learn. And then we could be like, ah, got it. Now we can move on. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he'll let certain circumstances come into our lives to mold us and shape us and teach us. We need to be always be listening to what God's trying to say to us. And, and, and we need to change our question. Usually when something happens to us, our question is, why? God, why did you let this happen? Our question should not be, Why? Our question needs to change to what? Instead of saying, why did you let this happen? We should be saying, what are you trying to teach me in this circumstance? Be quick to hear. Always be ready to listen to what God's teaching. And again, just in in a general sense, when we're dealing with people, we need to be hearing what they're saying. Quick to hear. But James moves on from that, and he says that we need to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Now, I wish... He would have said, speak slowly. Because if he, if he would have said, talk slowly, I would have that one in the bag. Because people, I mean, I'll talk to strangers and they'll finish my sentences because they're, they're just tired of waiting for me to get around to it. That's not what he's saying. He's not, he's not talking about the speed of our speech, but rather the frequency of our speech. See, when he says to be slow to speak, he, he means don't be hasty with our words. And when we're dealing with a stressful situation, frustration, anger, whatever it is, that's when we want to talk the most, isn't it? Somebody makes us mad, and boy, we just want to have diarrhea of the mouth. I mean, we just want, we just want to just tell them off. We want to have all these things we have. And, they, and in our minds, all those things sound great, don't they? And then as soon as you say them, you're like, oh, my word, I can't believe I just said that. We need to watch what we say. Proverbs 10:19 says, when there are many words... Transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Ecclesiastes 5.2, Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Proverbs 17, He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. In other words, it's good to be quiet. Somebody... Uh, there, there was an ancient uh, leader that was accused, falsely accused of many things. 
And he was on trial, and they were saying all, all manner of things against him, and he just sat silently. And somebody asked him, how do you, how do you stay silent when these people are saying such terrible things about you? And my paraphrase of what he said was, there have been a lot of times when I've been sorry for the things I've said, but never for when I've been quiet. And somebody said, uh, never miss a good chance to shut up. And that we would do well to, to follow that advice sometimes. Uh, the ancients would say, we have two ears, one mouth, therefore we need to listen more than we talk. Uh, other ancients uh, looked at, at the human anatomy and said, the ears are exposed to the world, the tongue is in a cage locked behind two rows of ivory bars. We need to be listening more than we're talking. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Now, why is that important? Again, when we're dealing with people, especially when we are upset, we need to be slow to speak. Some, you're, you're having a, a discussion, you're having a time of intense fellowship with your spouse, with your kid, and boy, you just want to let them have it. It might be good just to say, you know what, I want to talk to you about this, but I want to do it when I'm a little bit calmer. Let's, let's take, a, take a break for a few minutes and then come back and, and talk about it. I used to tell the kids in my class whenever I was in the classroom, if you're talking, you're not listening. And many times whenever we get in those discussions, whenever we're having an argument, we're so intent on winning that we actually end up losing because we're, we're focused on winning the argument, but we lose uh, the war, so to speak. And, and this really enforces this idea of teachableness, doesn't it? That, that if we're talking a whole bunch, we're not listening and we can't be instructed. We can't learn anything. And you know what? I've, I've noticed you can learn something from anybody. We realize we don't have it figured out. So he says in, in verse 19, Be quick to hear, slow to speak. And third, James says we need to be slow to anger. Slow to anger. Now that is a tough one. He says be, don't be quick-tempered. Matthew Henry, the commentator of old, said, The worst thing we can bring to any dispute is anger. And certainly we know people who have a tendency to get mad at the drop of a hat. Their fuse is always lit. And they've got a short fuse anyway, and it's always lit. Uh, and we've already talked about and, and heard those verses that talk about being quick-tempered, about being angry, about even associating with those people. Uh, but I've noticed that people that have a short fuse don't usually have a lot of good friends. Why? Because they haven't reined in their passion. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. We need to rein in our passions. If we don't, we end up wrecking relationships, saying things to our spouse, our kids, our parents, whoever it is. And some of those relationships can be repaired, but they'll never be the same. It, it closes our hearts and minds to the teaching and work of God. I remember in the Old Testament there was a man named Naaman. You remember him? He was, he was a really important guy. He was a general. He had the terrible disease of leprosy. And he, he went to Elisha to be healed, the prophet of God. And he was expecting everybody to make a big to-do about him because everybody everywhere made a big to-do about Naaman. But he went to Elisha's house, and Elisha didn't even go out of the house to talk to him. He sent a servant, he said, uh, tell him to go down to the river and, and dip in the river uh, seven times. Well, that made Naaman so mad that he almost didn't get healed because he, he, he just couldn't get over uh, this apparent slight to him. How, how dare somebody 
do that to such a great man. It keeps us from loving our neighbor and our enemies as God's told us to. When we are quick-tempered, it leads us away from God. Now, somebody might say, you know, Pastor, that's all well and good, but you don't understand. I'm half Irish, and I'm, an, I'm another half whatever other fighting group there is, and I'm another half, and we'll, we'll have you know, seven or eight halves of something that make us uh, angry all the time, we think. And we say, well, that's just the way I am. You just have to accept it. I'm, I can't control what I say, but you know I'm pretty holy other than that. Well, look, uh, jump down a few verses to verse 26. Look at what James says. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but, uh, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. In fact, in chapter 3, in verse uh, 18, it says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And what I'm saying is if, if you go out and you're mad all the time and you're always cutting people down and you're malicious, you're, you're abusive in your language, you're not being too good of a Christian. You're deceiving yourself. That's what James said. And we say, well, what about righteous anger? I've heard about that all my life. Can I have some righteous anger? Don't take it all away from me, Pastor. Can, can I have at least a little bit? Well, is there such a thing as righteous anger? Yeah, Jesus had it. And when we see uh, injustice happening in the world, when we see people blaspheme God, when we hear that, it should make us mad. But let's face it, most of what we call righteous anger is usually selfish anger, isn't it? We're just mad about something that we think has offended us. And whether our anger is righteous or not, the command of Paul still says the same. Be angry and yet do not sin. You can be righteously angry and still go off and sin or handle it the wrong way. So, here are all these things James says. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Easy stuff. Simple stuff. Not easy. Simple. But then he says one more thing in verse 21. Therefore, because of all this, verse 21, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, depending on your translation, verse 21 uh, may read a little bit differently there because... Uh, the Greek text is kind of hard to translate into English. But the, but the idea here is the, that of putting off clothes that have gotten dirty or filthy. You ever come in from the field? You come in from working with animals? You have kids that come in from, I don't know what they do, but they come in and they look like pig pen. I mean, they're covered from head to toe in dirt and mud and all sorts of stuff. Mom's what you say when they come in. Go take that off and put on some clean clothes, right? You wives, whenever your husbands come in, they're all covered in, in oil and dirt and, you know, whatever. They come in, oh, oh go put, that, put that in the hamper. Put on something, put on something decent, something that's not so dirty. That's the idea here. It's of, of taking off the filthy and, and doing away with it. And the language that's used here in, in the original language is that this is a one-time event. What, what James is saying is we need to recognize that our old way of life is filthy. Our old way of living is dirty. It, it's offensive. It's wicked. It's disgusting. It's evil. 
Therefore, we need to make a decision to stay away from that, to put off the old way of living. Now, are we still going to sin just because we made that decision? Sure we are. But don't let that deter you from making a choice to forsake your old way of life. Many times we don't put off our sin, we justify our sin. Back some years ago, and you can't tell this now, but some years ago I went on a diet and I lost a lot of weight. I found it all, but I lost it. And it was great. But part of the way that I got back to, to where I am now was I started justifying things. You know, I've been, I've been on this diet for a year or two now. And, you know, I've lost X amount of pounds. That Krispy Kreme sure would be good. And it'd be okay for me to have that one little thing. Well, then it's like, well, if I'm going to have one, half a dozen's not that much more. Right? Or, or, or the chocolate chip cookies, that's my weakness. And somebody will bring those, and, and I'll just eat the whole pan of them. And, and we justify things. Well, I know I cussed that old boy out, but it's because... No. That's justification. James says you need to you need to make a decision. You need you need to put aside all those all that filthiness. Stop justifying it. Recognize it for what it is. Because what we're doing when we justify things, we're not fooling anybody. You think somebody looked at me and said, you know, and I've, I've had people come. I remember. I know I'm not a small man. People come in at lunchtime. I'd be the only one in there, and somebody had brought cookies or donuts or whatever it is. And they'd say, oh, I know I should have one, but I'm on a diet. And I'd be like, yeah, I'll just have one. I had one. And I think they probably looked at me like, ooh, that's, that's a good reason for me not to have one because I'm going to end up like that. That's the, way our, that's the way our justification is, isn't it? We, we try and justify things, and we're not fooling people. Oh, yeah, well, I go to church on Sunday, but, yeah, if somebody cuts me off in traffic, boy, I'll flip them the bird. You know, such and such happens, and we'll do whatever it is, and we try and justify it. It doesn't fool anybody. All it does is tries to soothe our conscience. That's the only reason that we do it. It doesn't make us right before God. It doesn't make us right before people. But James says, put off all that stuff, make a choice, and instead, verse 21, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Receive the implanted word. The picture here is, is, is taking a, a seed and planting it in good soil, and it bears fruit. You go out here, and this isn't real good soil out here, but, but just pretend that it is, and you put a, soil in, uh, put a seed in the soil at the right time of the year, and when it gets the things it needs, the nutrients, the sun, the water, all those things, eventually that's going to sprout up and bear fruit of, of some kind. And what, what James is saying is, is that we need to humbly receive the word. That means that we need to bring ourselves into submission to it. We need to do what the Bible says, not just read it only. We need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And when we do that, that seed that's been planted will grow in us and change us from the inside out. Pretty soon we'll start to bear fruit. The Bible calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, so on and so forth. It becomes part of our lives, and it has the power to save us. And so, so here we started 
with being quick to hear, and we've ended with being obedient to the Word. We've come a long way, but it's not been hard to understand. Because James is very plain. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Put off your old way of life. Instead of doing all those things you used to do, be obedient to what God says. That's pretty simple. Now I wonder if you have ever done that. Are, are you living in submission to the Word of God? Have you ever laid aside the moral filth of this life? Are you being obedient to what the Bible says? Now again, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect because none of us is. There's one perfect man, and that was Jesus. We're not going to be perfect. But are you trying to do what the Bible says? Because, again, a lot of times when we justify things, in our own minds we say, well, I know this is what the Bible says, but if that, if that word but's at the end of it, you're, that's, that, you're in sin. Because you're saying, I know this is what Almighty God, Creator of the universe, has said, but I'm going to do my own thing anyway. James also goes on to say, uh, to him that knows good, but he doesn't do it, that's sin too. We call that sins of commission. When we commit sin, thou shalt not steal, and we steal. Thou shalt not lie, we lie. Those are sins of commission. But they're also sins of omission, when we leave undone the things that God says to do. Love your neighbors yourself. All these, all these things the Bible says to do, if we don't do it, those are sins of omission. Again, if you say, well, this is what the Bible says, but there's sin there. And what about this whole issue with anger? Are you quick to anger? You get mad at the drop of a hat? What about listening and speaking? Many times we turn all of it on, our, on its head because we're slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to anger instead of doing what James says, which is the opposite of all that. The rabbis used to say, the righteous speak little and do much. The wicked speak much and do nothing. So are you more talk or more action? Maybe there's, as we talk about anger and think about that, maybe there's somebody you need to reconcile with. Maybe there's somebody in your family, somebody in, in this church, somebody at work, that you need to go to them and ask for forgiveness. So well, I can't do that because of what they, what they said to me first. That's why I did what I did. Well, you're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you. Jesus said if, if you go to offer, uh, lay your offering out on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, you go and be reconciled to them first, then come and give your offering. Maybe you need to reconcile somebody. Go to them and ask them for forgiveness. Are they going to forgive you? Maybe, but that's on them. That's not on you. Your job is to do what the Bible's called you to do. As much as it depends on you, Paul says, live at peace with all people. Maybe you need to repent of something. It doesn't involve people, but you just need to go to God in prayer. You just need to confess some sin. You know you've, you've, you've been thinking wrong, been looking at the wrong stuff, saying the wrong types of things, whatever it is. And nobody knows it except for you and God. I want to give you a chance to do that. Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You've never been forgiven of your sin. 
Repent of that sin. Turn your back on it. And ask God to forgive you. The Bible says if you'll do that, you'll be saved. Why don't you stand with me as a musician comes. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. There's nobody looking around. Again, I'm not here to cast stones because this week I have struggled. And I think we probably all struggle with, with anger. Maybe not this week. Maybe this was a good week for you. Probably not too long ago or probably not in too much of the future you're going to have to deal with some of this that guy at work that lady at the store your kids or grandkids your parents not responsible for them, but you are responsible for you. Heavenly Father, we know that on our own, we cannot do it. In our own strength, we try. We try to control our, our temper. We try to control our tongue. And at the end of the day, we fail. God, please help us. Maybe there's somebody in our lives that we need to uh, get forgiveness from, and we know who that person is. We said an unkind thing to him. Maybe it was on the way to church. We did or said something that, that we shouldn't have. Because we were tired, because we were stressed because of whatever it is. Lord, help us to make sure that we're always right with each other and that we're always right with you. And help us to tame our tongue through the strength that you provide through your Holy Spirit. And God, maybe... Maybe our tongue isn't the thing that tripped us up this week. Maybe it's something else. Help us to turn our backs on those things, accept the forgiveness that you offer. And if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray for them. I pray that you would convict their hearts. That let us be a holy people in all the facets of our life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.